sometimes considered the forgotten mountain of the original Big Three, this attraction's concept predates Disneyland itself. After many failed attempts and some rare Imagineer infighting, it wouldn't be until nearly 25 years later that the first set of passengers would load up and ride the wildest ride in the wilderness. An instant hit, the ride quickly landed across the globe. But the real story is how it almost didn't happen at all. This week on Slice of Disney, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Welcome to Slice of Disney, an awesome Disney theme park podcast. I am your host, Kelly Washington, Disney-obsessed enthusiast and real-life Tinkerbell. And I'm your co-host, Will Lentz, occasional Disney goer and real-life animatronic cowboy that you think might be real, but you're not really sure. Uh, this is an episode of Westworld. <laughs> no, no, it is not. I won't even... <laughs> I, it's very confusing, and it doesn't wrap up together nicely. I, I'm sorry. I watched the first season of Westworld, and I was like... This is really predictable and lame, and I don't like it. Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, season one of uh, Westworld is not great, but the pilot I loved. So okay, uh, that's I, fair. I will I will rewatch the pilot. It's a great little short movie, uh, and the soundtrack is awesome. Uh, it's a lot Ooh. of fun. The rest of the rest of the show is whatever. I was gonna say, yeah, I did really love the pilot. Um, but you know what's more fun? Living in the wild, wild west, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 totally. I say this every week, and I promise I mean it every single time when I tell you I am so freaking excited to talk about this because I figured it's kind of like we're just going to talk about a roller coaster. Who knows? Oh, boy. There's a moment in reading the notes for this episode where my jaw hit the floor. It's so good. It's wild. It, I can't it wait to get to it. I almost texted you and then I was like, no, it's cool. I'll wait and save it. <laughs> it really is the wildest ride in the wilderness. There is so much to get into, so um, bear with us a little bit. I feel like we should pretty much just get into it since there is so much to talk about. Yeah, but we do want to say first off, though, that there was so much that we have decided to talk specifically about the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Um, there's a couple of different ideas leading into it, and we'll touch on some of those lightly and a couple of different lands that uh, might have been that we will touch on a little bit too, and we'll go more in depth into those in future episodes. Um, but for today, we wanted to keep the focus on this attraction itself, um, as well as some of the concepts leading into it that kind of got it going. Yeah, it's the before story is very cool. So Look out for that because that episode will come in the future. Um, but we're going to start today starting in 1970. 1970, the year of tie-dye. I was going to say, what is it the year of? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it's tie-dye now. So we start on kind of a sad note. Um, uh, but after Walt's passing, uh, the studio, there, there was a lot going on at this point. The studio was not doing well. And the only thing keeping the Disney company afloat was honestly the theme parks. And so they really had to just keep those standards really high. And I think just that moment alone is where I was like, that's such a Disney thing to do. Like knowing, hey, we might be struggling for money, but we have to keep putting more money in to the parks because that's what will ultimately accumulate more money. 
Yeah, I mean, look, that's not just a Disney thing to do. That's kind of business. But Yeah, but why can't some of these other theme parks figure that out? <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> fair point. Um, but it is, you know, it's one of those things that I, I didn't for the longest time know that the parks are the real moneymaker for Disney. Like, I think... I honestly think some of that is shifting um, into the streaming world. Uh, I think they actually acknowledge that some in the past year. Well, that's, um, I was going to say that's not really their fault. It's that no, big right, of pandemic course. thing that's happening, you know. Right, of course. <laughs> Who knows if that's going to be a temporary um, shift in strategy or a more long-term one. But when I first heard that, I was like, there's no way that's true. Um, but people have said it enough that I now believe it. Um, and I've <laughs> never looked at the finances. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense that when the studio is not doing well, they double down on what they know they can do well. Um, and that's the parks. Yeah. So now we're in... Uh, some years pass. They're trying to figure out what to do. They do know they're looking into more of like a thrill ride. They know that that's a part that's lacking. But um, now in 1971, Magic Kingdom is open and they're already working on expanding the park. They opened it. I mean, they have so much space. They went ahead and said, we're going to start here. But no, it'll keep growing. It'll keep growing. And this area was going to be called Thunder Mesa. It was going to be an expansion of Frontierland uh, in the Magic Kingdom. So Thunder Mesa was going, it looked like this very, very large plateau. And within this landscape, there were multiple attractions. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, uh, the concept kind of reminds me of what Cars Land looks like. Although Same. Cars Land isn't a plateau, but has kind of the, that vibe of like the big rocks and then a bunch of uh, attractions kind of in that general atmosphere. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, if you took the landscape of the Cars attraction itself, but within the Cars attraction, there were more attractions hiding. Yes, precisely. And, and so I need you to picture just this massive, massive, massive uh, plateau. And so in it was going to be, there were going to be pack mule rides and trails that you could take, a runaway train roller coaster. Um, there was going to be a river ride. And, and it was going to all be masked by this really beautiful backdrop. And even when you were in Frontierland, you'd be able to look out and see this grand area that really immersed you into this, this wild west. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, for me personally, I think the things I like about the uh, parks the most are when you get into that immersed feeling uh oh yeah you know, whether for sure. it is cars land as we just mentioned or um galaxy's edge or anytime you're like i feel like i've been taken somewhere else and i know if i walk about you know a hundred yards that way it'll be yet somewhere else other than that and so like this sounds pretty cool yeah i i 100 agree with you like i said there was going to be a river attraction this is actually one of the most famous unbuilt disney attractions that people talk about. It was called Western River Expedition. Also super funny, the same year, like 1971 or 1972, there was a river exploration company also called Western Rivers Expedition or something. Great. <laughs> and like, they didn't know about the other one. Like, they didn't know about each other, but I just thought that was funny. That um, funny. We're going to get into the Western... Like the old WWF and WWF, you know. What is? What are the two? World Wrestling Federation and World Wildlife Federation. Uh, I, I was only thinking of the wildlife. Yeah, the WWE used to be WWF, and then they got, got copyright infringed. Oh. And so they, had, they got sued, and so now that's why they became WWE. That's really funny. Welcome um, to Slice of Wrestling. I only know very <laughs> little, so. 
<laughs> That's why it's only a slice. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to get more into the Western River expedition, but just to give you a little glimpse into it, it was going to be based on legendary Imagineer Mark Davis's attraction um, that he had kind of created in the late 1960s. This was going to take place of Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, which was also a Mark Davis-led attraction at Walt Disney World. And this is because Disney executives felt like, you know what? Florida has so much rich history and like knowledge of pirates. You know, there's already so many different pirate tales, pirate attractions going on in Florida. They got so, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ex- I mean, there's already so much pirate stuff. So there. much pirate stuff. They're like, nobody in Florida is going to want more pirate stuff. Let's stick to something else. We'll do the same idea, but it'll be Western themed. Kind of like they thought about New Orleans Square being a little too close, but somehow we still got California Adventure in California. <laughs> yeah, I, I okay, so... <laughs> My first response to that is I'd never associated Florida with pirates. Am I just wrong on that? Is that just a is that a gap in my knowledge? I don't I don't know. I feel like I always think of New Orleans. Yeah, I mean I guess I mean I guess Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? So that had to come from something, and I'm sure there are other things and they they probably did base it off of reality somewhere, but I've never been like, oh, Florida, <laughs> one thing that they could not use is more pirates. So many pirates there. <laughs> also, in what world can you not use more pirates? Yeah, right. Totally. Anyways, I do think it's kind of cool that they were like, uh, we put the pirates over in California and now we want to bring the West to the East. And so they got kind of that sort of concept. Yeah, it was going to be the attraction was going to, um, you know, it was going to be like cowboys, and Native Americans and bandits and saloon girls all being narrated by like an owl named Hoot Gibson. I, I highlighted that because it's so delightful. It sounds like a and d name I would make up uh, when it's like, oh, you wanted to know this NPC's name? Ooh, shoot. Um, Hoot Gibson. Hoot, Hoot Gibson. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it sounds like a really fun ride. But um, in, ni- in late 1973, this idea was totally canceled because guests really, really, really wanted pirates. Like they would go to Di- Walt Disney World or Magic Kingdom, and they would be like, well, where's the Pirates ride? They'd be yeah. like, ooh, well. So finally they said, okay, people are wanting it bad enough. Let's build it. Also, our budget's real tight because we're building this whole other place called Epcot. <laughs> right. Yes, Walt wanted to be this utopian uh, society. We're going to make it a theme park. So <laughs> lots of money is being put into Epcot. And sadly, Mark Davis's dream attraction would never come to life. But his ideas were not thrown away. Yeah. I mean, like like so many other stories we've heard, uh, just because it wasn't the right time for something like this doesn't mean that those ideas aren't going to get factored into something else later. I always think of like this Disney vault of ideas as if this like huge, almost like like kind of what I picture at, it, at the Capitol or like at the Vatican of just this like underground like tunnel like the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh yeah, or like Raiders of yeah. the Lost Ark. Yeah, the big like... warehouse with all the <laughs> all the boxes, and it's like, oh, here's Raleigh Crump's office from 1961. <laughs> exactly, like that's my how I imagine all of these ideas are stored. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, that's 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 fun to think about. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's not on a Dropbox somewhere. It's uh, some a little bit more secure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely, probably just in like some big building in. Burbank. Um, 
Yeah, it's a file cabinet. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, these great ideas never go to waste. And there's another Imagineer um, who comes into play. I'm sure that if you know a little about Disney, you've heard of a guy named Tony Baxter. I know a little bit about Disney, and I have heard that name. Yay! Okay. I, I don't like, remember why, but I have heard it. Well, let me remind you, sir. Um, so Tony Baxter has this really kind of cool story in the 60s he was an ice cream scooper on main street but he always dreamed of being an imagineer and working um in engineering and he built like a he'd built little marble runs that looked like miniature roller coasters that the marble would go around and there was one that he was just so impressed by himself um, and others were impressed by he decided to take his chance and go to the imagineers and say hey can i be one of you and they said yes because of the marble runs, yeah, that's cool. Did you do you were you did you pay attention to the marble run uh, month? Not even month, week uh, of the pandemic. What? No. So in the past year, during the pandemic, when all sports were basically uh, shut off, uh, people really started to follow the marble runs that you could find on YouTube of like people like lining up eight different marbles and they're all going down these tracks together. And it's like which one's gonna win? They even did a, a bit on John Oliver about it uh, because like. It's it's just fun to me to think about like the 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 phases that everyone went through. Like we had Tiger King, we had a sea shanty one, we had marble runs. Throughout the pandemic, there's been all these little passing fads that everyone got obsessed with for like a week and then dropped. Um, I, and this was one of them. I didn't know that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, Tony Baxter, uh, a, a legend before his time. I know he should have. He would have mastered it too much. It's good he wasn't competing. Um, <laughs> So he was lucky enough to join the Imagineering team, and he was going to be mentored by Claude Coates, another name that you've definitely heard. And he started as a background animation artist turned art director of Disneyland. He worked on things like everything at the 1964 World's Fair, Carousel Progress, It's a Small World. He did Mr. Toad, Snow White Scary, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, everything. Like, he... You can find parts of him at every single park now. <laughs> That's great. That's cool. Yeah. So at this point, we have Tony Baxter's joined the Imagineers. The um, the Pirates ride is going to have to go to Florida because this other uh, Western version was a no-go. But now the Imagineers are trying to... They're back focusing on Disneyland. And Disneyland needs another thrill attraction. Because at this time, just Matterhorn is there, and they got to amp it up. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, we're in 1970, mid-70s right now. It's been 20 years-ish since the parks uh, originally opened. So, yeah, let's get something else in there. Yeah. And so Baxter had the idea of taking Mark Davis's runaway mine train idea and making it a standalone attraction. You know what? This new guy, all this young energy, they're like, yes, we love it. And Disney went ahead and they greenlit the idea and uh, work on both Disneyland and Disney World. They decided they're going to bring it to both began in 1974. You know, I, I imagine that it wasn't quite like as quick as he went in. He was like, guys, I got this idea. What if we did a runaway mine train? And they're like, great, let's put it in Disneyland and Disney World. But wouldn't that be funny if, if like, that <laughs> was did. the pitch? And they're like... Great pitch. We're putting in both parts uh, starting now. <laughs> yeah, like, I just I had I played with I used to play with marbles and now. <laughs> yeah, this was that was quite an abbreviation, I'm sure. And this idea was that there, the previous attraction that was 
standing where Big Thunder is today is called Mind Train through Nature's Wonderland. You'll get to hear a lot about that. It was this like beautiful little Mind Train ride, very detailed. It was designed by John Hench and Claude Coates. And even though it was designed by them, it was really Mark Davis who boosted the popularity of this attraction because in 1960, he had, like they had added a lot and revamped it. And this ride was really important to them. And then here's this youngin backstreet comes in and he's like, hey, how about this mind train? And immediately it was approved. Great. And so honestly, Mark Davis was like not thrilled. Yeah, not only was it replacing his old attraction, but it's also kind of inspired by one of his ideas too. So it's like, I can see why he'd be like, oh, I, I, this feels weird to me. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Right, because he, they still work in there. He's still doing his thing. And it only got worse because when they greenlit it for both Disneyland and Disney World, <laughs> the Magic Kingdom version was going to be built right on the spot where Mark Davis's dream area Thunder Mesa was supposed to be. <laughs> it's just like rub more salt in the wound. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I, I mean... Mark Davis, obviously OG legend, like did so much with, you know, starting Disneyland, having Walt and his own dreams come to life. And then I just look at it and I'm making up the visuals of this in my head, but like Tony Baxter being this young whippersnapper who comes in and he's just like, I have this one idea. And he's like, wait, what? Excuse you. Yeah. But I mean, I I also think it's, it's, it's important to note too, like, as we have talked about a lot of these Imagineers throughout it, um, with Claude Coates being a, a perfect example of who we just referenced, like once you kind of get your fingers in one part of the park, uh, the way Disney seems to work, or at least the way it used to with Walt, was like, you're now doing everything. So congratulations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so like when you're doing everything, at some point, one one of your babies is going to have to get uh, removed um, to make way for something else. So, you know, I can see why you might take it personally if it's your idea that you didn't get to do and now it's going to the place where you didn't get to do it. Uh, but there's a lot of other stuff that Mark Davis worked on, so he can get over it is what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> I'm t- team, team Baxter here. <laughs> I This is supposedly like, this is like the drama, you know, like if this, this would be like, if this was a reality show, they would definitely want to highlight this moment. Um, it's said that, you know, maybe did this make them enemies? It is said that, like, they were kind of rivals at the Imagineering Company, but who knows? Because there is no reality show about the Imagineers. We know. <laughs> we know. They I... hated each other. Legendarily, they hated each other. Let's play up the drama. Legend has it. But the drama was so intense that they decided to put this uh, on hold. Just kidding. Uh, they ended up putting the idea on hold uh, in Florida for a little bit because they decided to do construction on another thrill ride. It was not the, the feud's fault. Um, but they did come up with the idea for Space Mountain. And for some reason, the Disney company decided they're going to focus on this for Florida first. I wonder why. I mean, I, I think space is sexier, if I'm being completely honest, than uh, the Wild West. I think that they're both very interesting. and like, But Star Wars hasn't come out yet in this world. So that, that was kind of my first thought. I was like, well, maybe Star Wars came out. They saw the reception. So they're like, we got to do something space-themed. Um, but it hadn't come out at this point. Uh, 
So I don't know, but I, I do think like the 70s, there was a big fascination with space in general. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's the direction that they Yeah, felt I was thinking like in. they went to the moon. Um, so that was a big probably space moment. I agree. I think it's just like cooler. I think, you know, in the 50s when Disneyland opened, there was a big fascination with the Wild West um, and romancing that time period and that lifestyle. So it's very fitting. Like Walt really loved that and... It was a big hit at the parks, but I understand why maybe come the 70s, we did move a little way. This idea of doing a space roller coaster came and- It makes sense. Like what's cooler than a train, a spaceship? <laughs> yeah. Like all, all moving uh, vehicles are cool, but one- But there's a hierarchy. There, There is. Let's be real. Yeah. But over in California in 1977, construction began on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and the previous mine train attraction uh, was going bye-bye. I literally wrote in my notes, was going by. You did. I see it right there. The previous attraction was the mine train through Nature's Wonderland. It was a slow-paced, moving mine train where you'd kind of go through and see some animatronic animals. It was very beautiful. Um it was a really educational experience about nature and the desert. I, I mean, it sound, I can see why they would uh, want to upgrade that to something a little bit more thrilling, but uh, it sounds, sounds quaint. Yeah. Big Thunder is kind of this rundown, like, old town where this was more lively and bright as if it was you're going through it while it's thriving. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that uh, that also, I think, maybe speaks to the reflection that people have on the, the Wild West from when that would have been established in, like, the 50s to now. And to, to now in the 1970s when we think about it more of, like, oh, now we're thinking more of the ghost towns. True, true. But some of the stuff is still there because Tony Baxter really wanted to stick with Mark Davis's ideas um, and kind of keep that vibe going. And he was very inspired by Bryce Canyon National Park and what that looks like in the 1880s. So that is the world we are building. I, that's so specific. <laughs> Tony Baxter was <laughs> uh, inspired. Bryce Canyon National Park, sure. But it's specifically beautiful. what it looked like in the 1880s. <laughs> All right. 1890s, no. That, that's when it got weird looking. So 1880s, that's the aesthetic we're going for. We're sticking with that gold rush kind of time. I didn't know which way to go with phrasing, right? Because I could say he was able to reuse set pieces or he wanted to honor the previous attraction by using set pieces. They come off very differently depending on how I say this. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but which one do you think it was? I feel like Tony Baxter is honoring. I feel like he knows that the Imagineers who came before that him, he's learning from them and he's inspired by them and, you know, obviously grew to be in charge of the Imagineering department. But at this time, you know, I, I do think he wants to honor him. And I think he was like, whoa, I'm sorry I upset you. Here, look at what I did. Pretty. Uh <laughs> I think that's a very favorable reading of things. I don't have, know if it's true at all, but it could be. It could be. Uh, so I think he, he got us all just be like, oh, well, we can save some money if we just reuse this. Stuff. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know. So. So whichever one it was, he was able to reuse uh, a good amount of pieces from the mine train ride. He used the town of Rainbow Ridge, which at the end of the attraction in Disneyland, it's that town set piece that you see. Um, a lot of the animal animatronics 
and actual artifacts that were brought from abandoned gold mines from Nevada, Colorado, Minnesota, and Wyoming. And some of these things were actually shipped to Florida, too. So not all of the original pieces are only at Disneyland. You can see them at both parks. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, always, I always find like that's an interesting period of history, the gold rush. Apparently, so did Disney. Yeah. <laughs> um, now we're really building the ride and designing it. And they teamed up with engineer Bill Watkins. It's his time to shine, baby. Uh, they they team up with Aerodynamics, who they've worked with before to build roller coasters. Um, but this was going to be different than Matterhorn, which and it was going to be more of a traditional steel roller coaster with multiple back turns and uh, a, more than one lift to get the ride moving. Yeah, I as I was as I was rewatching this, uh, going through the ride again, I'm, I was reminded of the episode where we had uh, Brian on to talk about like the science of roller coasters. And I was like, Oh, I see how this works now. And, uh, and, and with the multi, like there was a, a second lift in there at one point. I was like, Oh, right. Cause at some point you got to get more um, potential turned into kinetic energy so we can keep going. So yeah, if you this... haven't listened to that episode. It's very interesting. Go check it out. Yeah. Go the check out the one with my brother. I had the thing I'm about to say is very much. So <laughs> what we talked about on there, um, this was one of the first roller coasters to introduce LIM, which is linear induction motors. We talked about that a good amount, which I promise you is not as lame as I'm making it sound right now. He, it's very cool. Yeah, that is that the one with the magnets where they flip. Yeah, it's where they uh, use the electromagnetic propulsion to move it forward, and so that the ride can immediately start moving versus being pulled by a chain. Right. Okay. I didn't realize that that's when the technology kind of came about. Yeah, me neither. But we are learning and. <laughs> And so overall, this attraction took seven years to build and had a price tag of 16 mil. I have no frame of reference for that. See, I, I was like, how does that compare to other ones? What's that uh, 16 million today? Um, I don't know. Let's, uh, I'll look something up. So the attraction that was there before the mine train was like, I think if I recall correctly, it's like a $400,000 attraction. That's how much it was when it was built in the 50s. Um and then this is 16, and I feel like 16 is like not a lot compared to some of these other attractions, but maybe it is. Yeah, no, I, it doesn't seem like that much, granted. Um, well, okay, so well, Space Mountain was 10 million. Oh, um, okay. I looked, up a, looked up a couple numbers for comparison. Um, and that, you know, was built around the same time, right? But and luckily, so, that's all in the dark, so you don't have to build like a world. <laughs> true, true. Um, comparatively... Radiator Springs Racers, two hundred million. Um, oh wow! Tower of Terror, one hundred and forty million. Now, granted, this is across different eras, but uh, but at the very least, we can say sixteen million, comparable to Space Mountain. And since then, uh, the cost of these attractions has skyrocketed. Oh yeah, I, I think that the most expensive attraction is the Hagrid's ride at Universal, and it's like. Oh, I don't remember. It's insane. 300 million. 300 million. So compared to that, uh, real cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just a casual $16 million. Yeah. Uh, which leads us to the grand opening at Disneyland on September 2nd, 1979. Yeah. Almost uh, 25 years after the parks opened. Oh, yeah. That's true. It was... A big hit. People loved it. Um, still do. 
the Disneyland location pretty much remained unchanged until January 2013, where it closed for 14 months for a big, big refurbishment. Um, during this time, the the attraction got a new ride track, a complete new ride track, some new scenery, a bunch of new special effects, and um, it reopened March 17th, 2014. I, that's probably good. <laughs> because it's been open for about 25 years um, at this point. And then it's like, look, the technology has changed a little bit. We're spending uh, 10 times what we used to spend on these things. <laughs> so let's uh, let's give you a little a little brush up. Yeah, I, I think it was time. And I would say, at least in all my recent memories, it is a totally smooth sailing ride. I don't remember it being like a huge bumpy ride before, but I do know now it's very smooth. It's very smooth. Do you remember the refurb? Yeah. Because you were a big Disney goer at that point. Do you remember any, like, what was your reaction when you got back on it or anything like that? I was excited. I remember in the tunnel, um, they used a lot of, you know, projections and mm -hmm. they just updated it. I saw that. And it's a slow enough moving roller coaster that you can take in the scenery, which I really like. Mm -hmm. It's very fun. So um, I did, I was enjoying some of the changes. And to kind of give you, uh, to go to the other side, of the country, um, which I think is funny. So this ride was originally proposed for Walt Disney World. Right. And then instead, Disneyland somehow still got it first <laughs> um, because of Space Mountain. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't actually make its way until 10 years after its story began in 1979. The track is pretty much identical to the Disneyland. It's just a lot bigger. Um, and the environment is all different and the story is different, but the actual track layout itself is very similar. And so Disney World, they instead of being inspired by Bryce Canyon, uh, they decided to take inspiration from the Monument Valley in Arizona. Is it is it especially noticeable going on the two different ones? Because I, I, I did the YouTube videos and did not notice that there was a big difference. But again, that's just my experience. I think that if you don't, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know it to look that you know, that they look different, but the colors are very different. Mm -hmm. um, you can see all of, like, the layers in, you know, one versus the other. Interesting. I, Disney World is very bright. It's, like, a very bright orange. Yeah, Disney World, I, that was the first one that I watched. And admittedly, as I was watching it, I was like, man, this looks so nice. And maybe it's because I was, uh, I've been in Kentucky in February, and it's a very gray month here. Um, I was like, <laughs> look at how bright and colorful, and the sky is so blue, and uh, this looks lovely. Um, <laughs> good job, whoever filmed that. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be magical to all be there right now? Um, for the Disney World attraction, they decided not to team up with Aerodynamics, the company that we talked about before, and instead mm -hmm. worked with Tacoma. And just so you know, that the Disneyland uh, Big Thunder, that was the last time they worked with the Aerodynamics company. Hmm. Wonder what that'd happened. Be interesting to, yeah, that'd be interesting to know more about. I did think so. The Disney World version is twenty five percent bigger, but it cost seventeen million and opened September twenty third, nineteen eighty. So only a million dollars more for a lot bigger. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if some of that's in uh, development, though, right? Like you know, once you sort of have the the concept, you're not you're not paying for that anymore because you're you're taking the idea from one place and putting it into the next and some of those costs just get allocated in different ways I, it would be my guess or maybe they cut corners and it's actually more dangerous in disney world one <laughs> of those options 
I the story makes it seem like these this attraction is very dangerous. Um, <laughs> but to to fill out the rest of the locations, this ride was such a hit at both Disneyland and Disney World. They decided to take it overseas. So Tokyo got its version in July fourth, nineteen eighty seven. It's very similar to the Florida version. Um, but they did drop the railroad part, so it's just called Big Thunder Mountain, which I feel like people don't usually say Big Thunder Mountain Railroad when describing it. So yeah, I mean, I I would just say Big Thunder uh, in any ways. So the yeah, exactly, definitely get on out of here. <laughs> and then the Paris location opened April twelfth, nineteen ninety two, much later, and it is the most unique of all of them. It its story is different, but it also it sits in the middle of an island. Like at the other parks where the uh, Tom Sawyer's Island would be, mm-hmm. the you enter on the mainland and then it goes underwater in some tunnels for like to experience the ride. Oh, that's cool. I know. I like the ride itself goes under. It's yeah, neat. I know. I want to go on this one. Also, yeah, that does seem a little less like Wild West, but sure. Oh, yeah, I. <laughs> Let's innovate. Let's have some fun. Uh, people in Paris don't know what the Wild West is like. In the States, maybe there are underwater tunnels. Or you're escaping to the Wild West. Like, that's how you got there. Or, yeah. but actually, the Paris version has the most unique story of all of them and might not take place totally in the Wild West. I'm excited to get to that. After the break. <laughs> da, 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 da. I, the stories are one of the most interesting parts of the research on this one, I think. Yeah, I would say that we got to through, you know, we got through the 70s to here. And though it's just a roller coaster, like with all of the other attractions, Disney has put a lot of time and effort into the storyline of each of these mountains. Yeah, and I'll ask this now. When you go on these things, do you really notice the story? Honestly, um, no. Depend- so I would say depending on which attraction it is, I pay attention to the story. A ride like Big Thunder? No, I've always just thought it was a lot of fun. But now I'm really excited to go and look for all these things because through the queues, they're all you know interactive. They ha- the, the story is there for you to to enjoy. You just have to know to look for it. Yeah, I just find that interesting because like I never uh, like I, I go on these things and I don't even think about there being a story until I like I read it and I'm like, oh, huh, that's kind of cool. I guess I should have paid attention. So uh, you, listeners, you're in luck because we're gonna go through them for you. So we're going to start in Disneyland, and the legend has it that after the gold was discovered in the 1860s, mysterious happenings started to occur once the large boom of the gold rush miners uh, happened. They started to get really greedy, and um, and the mountain started to react, including the trains operating on their own. Many of these ghost tales were like coming up that maybe like they weren't the only ones on the mountain. And then the miners got really spooked. They started placing horseshoes everywhere to try and protect themselves, but it didn't do any good. Um, So today, we are riding this attraction in the late 1880s. Big Thunder Mountain Mining Company is still in operation waiting for you. They invite you if you dare. Just kidding. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But not really. (laughs) But not really, because once again, this mysterious kind of abandoned but not really because it's still in operation but not as many people uh mountain we're gonna check it out because that's what people want to tour and this little town of rainbow ridge its population went from 2015 people to just 38 which is why now it is considered a ghost town 
There you go. I like it. It's like, hey, by the way, some of our trains operate on themselves by themselves. Uh, you want to get on it? to see what happens yeah and we're all like sure that sounds great <laughs> okay yeah why not we got horseshoes to protect us yeah cool. <laughs> um i guess that's how they explain they're not uh no need for a conductor um <laughs> disney world and tokyo are super similar so i'll kind of go through the disney world version again we have the big america's gold rush and there's a ton of gold found deep within big thunder mountain in red rock canyon so these are two Owned by the same mining company, but two different locations. Right. Uh, but also uh, two different Big Thunder Mountains, too. Yes. They just really like that name. So uh, almost overnight, this town of Tumbleweed became this thriving mining town. And it was kind of all thanks to Barnabas T. Bullion, uh, who established the mining company. And he was very powerful. He was a very powerful man. He comes from an East Coast family. So naturally, he thought it was his very right to claim the gold inside the mountain. I don't know why that's like an East Coast family, um, of course, thing, but apparently it was. <laughs> eh, you know, in entitled coastal elites. That's that's what it is. There you go. And so he thought it, all the gold belonged to him, but the mountain had other ideas. Yeah, Team Mountain. Team Mountain. The mountain um, was protective of its gold and would curse anyone who dared try to take it. So while in operation, these miners were hearing ghost sounds and they believed that the mountain was inhabited by supernatural beings and powers. So strange events started to happen, including a cave-in, equipment failing, and then one stormy night, a flash flood completely wiped out the town, destroying all of the mining town and company. Rumor has it that Professor Cumulus Isobar, a rainmaker, brought the flood to Tumbleweed. And if you look carefully, you might just spot a mysterious machine with Cumulus's name on it while experiencing Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Nowadays, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad um, is now an empty ghost mine and rushes riders through the canyons and caverns of this abandoned mine shaft and through the ghost town of Tumbleweed. But apparently, Barnabas is still in there trying to find his gold. And there's warnings that, like, maybe it is still haunted. Woo. That's cool. I like that one. I think that's pretty neat. I like the extra detail. I also love that one. But I think I might love this one more. We're going to go to Paris now. Cool. Take me there. Okay. So unlike the other rides, this version um, concerns a whole town. The town of Thunder Mesa. Oh, we got the we, we got a callback. We did. We found a way to make Thunder. Nice. We found a way to give Thunder Mesa a home. So Thunder Mesa was founded by Henry Ravenswood to support this small little mining town. So this mining magnate, Henry Ravenswood, uh, made his fortune um, off of the Big Thunder Mountain. But he was very, very greedy to care about all these warnings because they also had warnings of ghosts protecting their mountain as well because they you know, we're told they're protective of their gold. He says, I don't care. Then an earthquake killed him and his wife. Um, the drear events um, all happened near his homestead on Boot Hill only got worse from there because now, because of all of these scary events and being haunted and them dying, now Phantom Manor, their home, 
if you recall correctly, um, Phantom Manor is the Paris's version of the Haunted Mansion. It is now haunted by dozens of wicked ghosts eternally partying within its walls. So we've moved the ghost. The ghost started at Big Thunder here, but moved over to the mansion where now we can just party with all the ghosts. But it's like still kind of dark because they died from an earthquake. <laughs> what Disneyland Paris sounds kind of dope. I know. Based I, off of this, uh, based off of two things: this and the storybook land boat canals. Oh yeah, I don't I, know if I said that right, but storybook land boat. Can- There's so many words in that title. I get it wrong. I'm like story land book canal boats i don't know (laughs) as long as you get Um, all the words in there you're good yeah to give an honorable mention there's actually another location that kind of has a big thunder it's called big grizzly mountain runaway mine cars and that's at hong kong disneyland it kind of fits but not totally it has like similar ish vibes and it features like animatronic bears who are like telling you to go away um but its ride track is a is more like is more like Everest. Gotcha. It's so it's kind its, of a hybrid. Yeah, it's getting an honorable mention here, um, but it's not quite the same, so it doesn't get lumped in totally. I like those stories. I think they're kind of cool and definitely something that I wish that when I went on it, I recognized a little bit more. But maybe maybe only because I've been on the Disneyland one and that feels like it's got that one has the least like nuance to it. Yeah, I, I think you have to really look in the queue to find a lot of this stuff. So technically... I'll walk you through like the history and how they all connect because technically all of these are connected and in different parts of the park, there's hints of that. So it's like one collective universe. It is. It's kind of like a Marvel universe, but for Disney theme parks. Um, So there's this thing called Society of Explorers and Adventures and Sea, and you can find details about all of these explorers and adventurers at different parts of the park. Another day we'll explore some of that. Ha ha. And But this kind of helps you because all of these people would be a part of that universe. Mm -hmm. So it would start in about 1840 when Ravenswood forms the Big Thunder Mining Company. So he's in charge of the company first. He finds it and is the president of it. Then in 1860, the earthquake happens and killing Ravenswood. And now he's going to go chill in Phantom Manor. Then between 1860 and 1880, Barnabas T. Bullion becomes the president and takes over the company and he decides he's gonna he's doing so well he's thriving he's going to expand the gold mining company over to tumbleweed and rainbow ridge in around 1880 he meets this guy named jason chandler who is a character from another world that was never actually built called discovery bay the original home of where big thunder like maybe was gonna be there's so many mm-hmm. again like so many parts of this where you're like what's happening but somehow he still made his way into the main storyline. And he's the one who like gave these like ginormous drills to uh, Barnabas to start like exploiting and taking advantage of these mountains instead of just like sure. taking a little. Yeah. And he warned him. He's like, don't use it for that. And he's like, no, nah, I'm still mm-hmm. going to do it. Um, and because he also was really greedy, he wanted to turn these gold mine towns into something more. So he brought all of them together and created a steamboat where you could get to all of these locations via steamboat um, for tourism. Great. So there's like there's like three to four um, ghost towns with haunted railroads. And you know what we need to do about that is 
put a steamboat together so people can tour all of them. Exactly. I like it. No, I, I, I watch Ghost Hunters sometimes on TV, so I get it. There you go. You, you know, and I don't feel like our experience is really ghost hunting when we're on this attraction. True. But it made me so happy that here is yet another attraction where we are tourists. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. One one more. I want at this point it's easier to note the ones that aren't uh don't, don't rely on us being tourists. I know, right? Like I was like, really? That's where we went with this? I thought we were just like maybe miners ourselves who like got into mischief, but nope. We're tourists yeah, to- touring the ghost town. <laughs> To call back to that earlier conversation around whether or not uh, we think that the Disney vault has a giant warehouse full of ideas uh, that that are in the vault that never made it come, that never came to light. I think we can pretty clearly see that the it's maybe only a couple manila folders and it just says tourists on every page. <laughs> like, how do we make the guests feel like this is real? Well, of course, they're tourists. Right. That's um, where we start. There's even like connections to this ride where some of the the sounds were used um, from Indiana Jones to make the oh, sounds cool. that like while you're going through the ride. Yeah. Bringing us back to the tourist over there. So it's there all, we go. The world is all connected. I like it. Yeah, I thought I thought the stories were really fun. Those are some fun creative stories for a ride that itself is like solid, but it's not like, you know, groundbreaking. Um, but you, I, I really like those those stories. They're compelling. It, it's one of those moments that makes me really excited that I'm like, you didn't have to do that. Sure, absolutely. It, it's an enjoyable ride no matter what. But the story now makes it even more compelling. Um, you have like, because I just looked at it as like, here's this fun ride with a goat with dynamite in its mouth. That's <laughs> yeah, fun. Absolutely. The goat with dynamite in his mouth is not one of the original animatronics from the previous attraction. That one was added. I honestly barely remember that until you just said it. And I'm like, oh, right. But now you remember it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the one thing I remember from the ride. That's so funny. That's a lot of fun. But uh, there's also, I think, you know, one of the things that I was really drawn to about this one is all like the um, interesting, fun facts that that ha- that uh, stemmed from that. Um, so why don't you take us through some of those? I have my favorite one, too. Um, but I'm sure you'll probably touch on it. Uh, so there's a lot of really cool uh, little sneaky things that they've put either on the ride or places you can find the ride in other parts of the park. One of which is that the model that was used to design the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Disneyland, you can see that at the Disneyland Hotel Frontier Tower Lobby. So you can go check out what they actually built. That's cool. Yeah, I like I like little things like that. You can kind of see what the Imagineers were working on. Um, another thing that I thought was cool is that as I haven't even said enough, honestly, as we're doing this one, I don't know why, what's wrong with me, but this is the wildest ride in the wilderness. And you can see the wildest party in the West on the second floor of the Gold Dust Saloon when you're whizzing um, through Tumbleweed, but you can only see the party happening apparently at night. Well, that's cool. I mean, it makes sense, right? That's like, that's when parties happen, Kelly. I don't know. It's been a year, I think, since anyone's been able to go to any type of party, but typically they do happen at night. Well, my bad. I think you can party at any time. I'm having a party right now. Woohoo! Uh, okay, well. But I look into those little windows um, and you'll be able to see um, some things going on. Apparently, there used to be a burning cabin that you could see across the rivers of America in Disneyland. And the story of this cabin is that it had been bur- burning for 31 years because it was made of firewood. 
Uh, but, hey. in, hey, but in 2002, the fire was extinguished due to rules and regulations. Boo. I never got to I, see that. That's confusing to me. It wasn't actually on fire. Why did they have to extinguish it? Or was it actually on fire? I guess I don't actually know. I don't know. It re- maybe it's kind of like the pirate situation where they're like, the fire looks too real. People will think it's really on fire. Yeah, I think it must have been. <laughs> I brought another really cool fact that I brought up uh, Indiana Jones earlier. Um, so the trains that are used at the Disneyland version were used in a mind chase sequence in Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's cool. It's from the from the movie. I've at first when I saw that I thought like the ride and I was like, that's weird. They're in two places at once. Um, <laughs> but no, okay, that's cool. And I thought that was really neat that yeah. the Indiana Jones uh and Big Thunder's worlds are more connected than I thought. Yeah, it is it, yeah, there's just a lot of connections with this one. So speaking of connections, one of the things that I thought was cool, although not the one that made my jaw hit the floor, um, was that there was a connection here um, between Big Thunder Mountain and the Enchanted Tiki Room. Um, And so, you know, in the Enchanted Tiki Room, they've got a lot of different things going on, including a chorus of of cockatoos. Um, And... To start out the song, there's a song, Let's All Sing Let's Like the Birdies all Sing. Let's sing like the birdies sing. Tweet, 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 tweet. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, Sure. Um, but to start it off, uh, the show host, Jose, wonders whatever happened to a singer named Rosita. And if you travel through Magic Kingdom's um, interactive line queue to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, uh, there's a lot of uh, bird cages uh, traditionally meant for canaries. Um Including one of the cages, there's a there's a title for Rosita. So it suggests that perhaps Rosita is not part of the chorus at the Tiki Room because she was a canary in a coal mine and um, didn't make it out in time or ever, perhaps. No, she did. I'm into it. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's dramatic storytelling. <laughs> but... Uh, you would be wrong. She actually is okay. Um, she has started her own solo singing career over at the Tropical Hideaway Restaurant in Anaheim's Disneyland. Um, and I wonder personally if, like, that was like originally she was supposed to be a canary in the coal mine, and then they were like, "This feels too dark." So uh, no, instead she just uh, went off to do her own uh, solo singing career. Either way, <laughs> I thought that was a kind of a fun connection between a bunch of different stuff. I think that this ride has a really dark history in general. It's all about like ghosts and haunting and people dying. So yeah, I don't is. know. A lot darker than I thought. I feel like they needed a better name than Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. With the kind of spook factor of this, if you called it like Ghost Train Railroad, I'd be like, I want to go on Ghost Train. That sounds awesome. Um, Big Thunder, I'm just like, oh, it's just a Wild West themed roller coaster. I, but it's sneaky like that. Like for the kids, it's this enjoyable, happy ride. But for the adults, it's a little spooky. <laughs> fair, fair point. Fair point. Um, I think one of the last cool ways that they're incorporating something is that the window of the marshal's office in town, um, in the town, used to read Willard P. Bounds, U.S. Marshal. This is Lillian Disney's father, who was once a U.S. Marshal on the Nez Perce Indian Reservation in Idaho, and now there's a notice at the attraction's entrance signed by Willard P. Bounds along with the official certification of the property um, at City Hall in Main Street. So I like that her daddy's just kind of honored there too. Yeah, I like that too, because this is, uh, as we may remember, this was after Walt. Um, So it's not like 
you know, this was a, a Walt thing that he put a touch that he put on there. It was instead a thing that um, people that took up this idea after Walt were like, we think that uh, we should continue to honor the family. And so I think that's nice. I do too. The last way that the the trains and the ride itself are kind of just like giving you a little um, bleep of positivity is that all of the trains have a unique name. Like you be bold, you are courageous, I am loco, I be hearty, and you are daring. I like that. And I don't know enough about railroad naming conventions to know whether or not they often have things like you be and you are. Um, but maybe someone can tell us. Yeah. I, just have, to, I have to assume so, um, which I think is kind of cool. You, I There had to be a train attraction somewhere in any of the Disney theme parks, or it couldn't be Disney. Just one day, one day that we'll have like the, the fine, like at some point trains will be removed completely from Disney. No. I, I, I mean, it might not be for another hundred years, but it's going to happen. No, trains, Walt loved trains too much. His ghost would like not let it happen. Maybe that's it's true. his ghost that's haunting these minds. Uh, <laughs> there's a really crazy story, Will. Is this the, the one? This is the one that made my jaw drop, I, but I would prefer if you told it. So there was this, Okay. So, October 2016, the Journal of American Osteopathic Association, there was a paper written by a Dr. Wardinger. He had multiple patients who had passed kidney stones while riding Big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Walt Disney World on vacation, including one guy who passed three stones on three separate occasions. This is the part that made my jaw drop. What? What? Also, like, poor guy, three, that's a lot. Anyways, there's not, there's more to this story. <laughs> there's gold in them binds. Um, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so this was a crazy thing that was happening. So this doctor went to Disney. He's like, hey, would you mind if I do a series of tests? Disney gave him permission, and he made a 3D model of a kidney that he brought with him while riding this ride over 20 times. He sat in different seats. Um, in order to get a different feel. The study showed that nearly 70% of the time, the kidney stone would pass, with the results varying depending on where he was sitting. What? But then it gets weirder, because it's not just like, oh, maybe this is a study that like kidney stones can pass while you're on a roller coaster because of right, the force or something. Right, that's what I was thinking. No, the study also found that Space Mountain and Rock and Roller Coaster failed. They did not have the same results. Well, I, which is very interesting, but also like I need to know if this was just Walt Disney World or if Walt Disney Land's Big Thunder Mountain Railroad also did it. Um, so like, there, let's write this guy some grants. We got some more research to be doing. Yeah, this is important. This is yeah. what the medical community needs to know. <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but we got important things to worry about. <laughs> yeah, no, this is truly a like. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Like, this isn't real. How is this real? That cracked me up because <laughs> like, I mean, look, I, I am sure people have stories of someone being like, I did this thing and then a kidney stone passed and it's like, OK, yeah, sure. That's connected. But he tested it and it came back 70 percent. Wild. Wild. That's so crazy. Um, so while I'm going to recommend you don't look for kidney stones on the ride um, or past kidney stones, I guess, uh, maybe you could look for some hidden Mickeys. Yeah. What kind of hidden Mickeys you got? This is for Disneyland. As you start to climb the second hill, 
Look to your left. Near the bottom of the hill, there are three gears that form a large uh, upside-down classic hidden Mickey. Cool. Another spot where you're going to be able to find them is right as you're exiting, the highest three green globes in the Cactus Garden usually form an oval classic Mickey. At times, other collections of cactus lobes may also form Mickeys, but I think that was on purpose. They want them to form little Mickeys. That makes sense. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Um, but for Disney World, you're going to be able to find one at the end of the ride just past the dinosaur bones. Who to, I didn't even get to discuss the fact that I love that part. I just get excited because you're like going through dinosaur bones. And don't worry, all parks have that part. Okay, good. I know you were concerned. So as you pass the dinosaur bones on the right side of the track, you'll see a set of gears laying on the ground. The second set of gears resembles a classic hidden Mickey. So make sure when you are going through the dinosaur bones, you look for that. And then on the left side, as you exit the ride, a cutout of a reddish rock resembles the side profile of Tinkerbell. <laughs> you, had to, you had to get that one in there. I did. So it's not quite a classic hidden Mickey, but you do get to see a little tink. Um, it's behind a cactus and between two metal carts. Okay. I That one's going to be harder to look for because the, the queue is really long for Big Thunder in Florida. Um, and like, I did. You, I saw. You go like up a mountain and you go back down. Ha ah, a mountain. Get it? Because it's a mountain. But <laughs> I got it. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I saw that the, the line tends to still be pretty long there. Oh, yeah. Which is actually a common complaint I saw as I was looking for uh, the review on t for today um, as part of everyone's favorite segment, Disney on Yelp. Yay! Today's Yelp review comes from Jan N. from San Diego, California. She has 21 friends on Yelp, 75 reviews, and 233 pictures. Uh, her display picture, her profile picture, is a picture of a blue M&M uh, like one of those person ones, you know? Oh yeah. Like the like the commercials. Uh -huh. uh, it looks like it, there's like some type of. I think you could probably make a make yourself look like an M and M uh, kind of thing, and I think that's what she's got there. Um, not important for the review, but important for the visualization. <laughs> On September 27th, 2012, I must say that I was amazed that two of my friends and I were able to fit in one cart. I was like, "Are you sure we can fit?" I was totally shocked. It was a bit of a tight fit. Well, at least for me, because I was in the middle. We made it on and off the ride in one piece, smiley face. Great for kids and the young at heart. There used to be McDonald's french fry cart there. Since then, it has been replaced with a fruit cart. I wish they would bring it back. Bring it back, Disney, please. I really do not like your fries. Sorry, smiley <laughs> face. Three stars. Thank you, Jan, in for your review. Jan, that wasn't, well, Will, that wasn't. <laughs> it was not related to the ride at all. I was going to say, that was not about the attraction at all. Um, okay, well, that's hilarious because part of what I started to say in the beginning of recording was like, I was going to describe how you would walk back to Big Thunder and you would pass this French fry cart. We talk about the French fry cart a little on our Patreon episode. Uh, you do have to subscribe uh, to check that one out. So um, if you do, you'll get to hear a little bit more about some French fry carts. So yes, Jan, she likes the French fry cart too. <laughs> she gets it. Yeah, I just love that. Most most of the reviews on this one were like complaints about the lines. Um, but I like that hers was like, listen, uh, the Right, great for kids and the young at heart, but here's the things you need to know. You can fit three people on a cart, and uh, they need to bring the french fries back. Three stars. I think you accidentally said two people. No, two of her friends and I were able to fit in one oh, cart. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, when I first read through it, too, I was like, yeah, I think 
it typically you can have two people. Um, so, but yes, it's three. Dang. Well, what a wild ride we went on. Yeah, thank you, Jan. Um, so let's, we're, we're running out of time. Let's do our final questions real quick. Um, where does this ride fit in your day? Is it an everyday kind of thing? And if so, when do you ride it? Yeah, I think this is an every trip occasion. I usually, whenever I can get it in, you know, sometimes it's on the later side of the day. Um, it's great at night. It is also great during the day. Um, I like to get a fast pass for this one if it's available because it's it's not one of the main, main attractions like a Space Mountain per se. So usually there are more tickets available for fast pass. I don't really have a specific time that I ride this one, but I would say it's an every time one. I'm going to push back a little bit because most of the times that I've been to Disney have been with you and I don't, I think I've been on this ride once. Really? Yeah. So think about it. Is it an every, an every day? Maybe it's just trip? not with you, but. Could I, be. I mean, could be. Yeah. I, I feel like this one's very often. Okay. So if it isn't an every time will, it is a most of the time. Okay. I just think, you know, at a certain point, not every ride can be an everyday kind of thing. Because you can only fit so many rides in a day. I would would say that this is a... I typically walk over. I check out the Haunted Mansion line. I probably ride this one more than Pirates. That's fair. I would probably ride this one more than Pirates. Um, So, on to the next question. You're on your way out of the park. It's been a long day. You're tired. You've not been on this ride yet. Um, There's only a 10-minute wait. Do Do you delay your exit to go on it? Yeah, I think so. I, I kind of think so, too. Yeah, I think it's a quick burst of energy. Um, like I said, there's something like kind of peaceful about it while still thrilling. I, I think it's a really perfect ride. I kind of talked about it a little bit when we did our bracket, which is our, you know, uh, hint at our Patreon episodes. And, and I think that this ride has a lot of what you like about a roller coaster all in one. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think it's nice and smooth, but also like it's got some speed to it. You're not doing loops. You're just kind of going over hills and stuff. Seems fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I think at night it's probably pretty cool too. Um, final thing, what would you change about this attraction if you had to change anything? If I had to change something, and this is something that it'd be kind of impossible to change, I think I'd make it like a tad more thrilling. Like add a slightly larger drop somewhere in there. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. What about you? Uh, you know, I think it's probably pretty easy to predict what I'm going to say here because we talked about it a little bit throughout this episode. The story is cool. Let's bring it more to the forefront so I really know and I, and I can kind of see the connections uh, in other places without having to look for it. Um, I, they, they, put, they put a lot of time into thinking about this kind of stuff. So uh, don't be ashamed of it. Put it front and center. Let me see it. Give me some stakes to this ride. Oh, man. Uh, that's a good answer. Cool. Yeah. what can i say i'm great at uh giving people suggestions on things they should do differently (laughs) wow you sound like a lot of fun (laughs) i am great at parties that only happen at night that only Uh, happen at night well it is getting to be nighttime as we record this so i think it's time to say goodbye i uh i agree but before we say goodbye um if you want to say hello uh, feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media channels. You can do that slice of Disney on Facebook or Instagram or slice underscore of underscore Disney on Twitter. 
You can email us at sliceofdisneypod at gmail.com. And you can check us out on our website, sliceofdisney.com, which also features our wonderful Patreon. Go check it out. Lots of fun perks and uh, exciting ways to get a little more Disney in your life. Yeah. Um, and as always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps our numbers, uh, which helps us get to bring you more fun Disney content. So um, if you could do that, that'd be great. Or share with a friend. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on our wildest ride in the wilderness. Okay, bye.